morning again. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8? So far, in the first four verses of Romans 8, we've seen two, I think, crucial truths. First truth, Christians are forgiven for our sins by the finished work of Jesus Christ. In Christ, our sins are forgiven. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now... Today, no condemnation for those who are, who are in Christ Jesus. And this truth, Paul has based it, he, the, the therefore points back to all seven chapters that have gone before. That for those who by God's grace have placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone, trusting not in themselves, but solely in Christ's sacrificial death for them on the cross, there is now, therefore, no condemnation. In an instant, no condemnation. Instead, there's justification. We're declared righteous. God says, you in Christ, you're righteous. You're right with me. And there's salvation. We are saved from God's wrath. We're saved from condemnation. And we're saved to eternal life. We're given the gift of eternal life in God's presence. So that's the first truth of instant and eternal forgiveness for those who are in Christ. The second truth is that Christians are set free from sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.2 For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Those who are in Christ who trust in Christ, we received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the indwelling power of the Spirit sets us free from this indwelling power of sin. We are now free to live righteously before God. Do you understand? That's the freedom. And we as Christians sing about freedom and we talk about freedom. That's the freedom we're talking about. We're free to live righteously before God. We're free to fight against sin. And to enter into this process that, that uh, Paul writes about called sanctification. Overcoming our sin and entering into this process of becoming more righteous. We've been declared righteous and we enter into this process of becoming more righteous. Becoming who God has declared us to be. So to summarize these two truths, in Christ, because of Christ, Christians first, in an instant are forgiven for our sins, declared righteous by God, and saved unto eternal life. And second, we are freed from our sins, entering into a a lifelong process of sanctification. This is the gospel that Paul preaches. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it seems to me that the American evangelical church does a pretty good job of making sure the first part of the gospel, the first truth, is heard loud and clear. We are good at evangelistic crusades and altar calls and using, uh, uh, excuse me, urging people to put their faith in Jesus Christ so they will in an instant be forgiven and saved from their sins. I mean, what's our favorite verse? For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the first truth. But I think we're not as good at proclaiming the second truth. 
We're excited about telling people, or at least we hope we're excited. I mean, this is a good thing. I'm not putting this down. This is what we should be doing. We should be excited about telling people that trusting in Jesus means they will be saved in an instant. But we're less interested in telling people that trusting in Christ means they enter a lifelong process of sanctification. If anyone come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. That's a, we don't hold that up at football games. That they're not only declared righteous in an instant, but they must now seek to become righteous throughout a, a lifetime. And maybe we're less excited about declaring this part of the gospel because we're less interested in living this part of the gospel. The salvation part's easy. It's a done deal. But the sanctification part is work. It's, it's a daily battle. It's not works. Don't, don't, don't misquote me. It's not works. It's not going to earn you any salvation, but it's work. It's part of uh, our daily life. It's in the trenches. And if we neglect this aspect of the gospel, we fail to understand that God's purpose for our lives is, what God's purpose for our lives is. He not only saves us unto eternal life, but He leaves us here on earth that we might be sanctified and experience the abundant life here and now that He provides for us. As Paul writes in Romans 8, 3, and 4, that God, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. He didn't say in order that we might go to heaven, which we do, but he says in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. God sent Jesus to die a sacrificial death on the cross for you. Why? So those who trust in Him might be forgiven and saved Of course, truth one. But also in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. That we who are freed from our sin might live in obedience now to God's law. That we might be sanctified, purified by the power of the Holy Spirit. God did not declare you to be righteous and save you from condemnation for your sins so that you might continue to live an unrighteous, sinful life. God declared you to be righteous and saved you from the condemnation of your sins so that you might be free to become righteous through this process of sanctification. Christ died that we might be those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And as I said last week, this is both a a description of those who are in Christ, this is who God has made us to be, and a a prescription, a, a remedy. It's instructions for how we're to live in Christ Jesus now. This is a a prescription for how we, over our lifetime, overcome sin and become more righteous. And the prescription is this, in summary, do not walk according to the flesh, Do not seek to gratify, uh, live for the sinful desires of the flesh. Instead, walk according to the Spirit. Seek to gratify, live for the righteous desires of the Spirit of God. Now, last week we began to look at at how uh, we follow this prescription. 
We saw first and foremost that, that, that where we walk, uh, how we live, is a work of God's Spirit in our lives. In Romans 7, uh, we saw that even, even those who are in Christ, even Christians, that we have no hope to overcome our sin. We have no hope to live a righteous life ourselves through self-discipline. There's only misery for those who seek to obedient to God in their own flesh, even Christians. But in chapter 8, we see a different story. Uh, we're given hope. Not hope in ourselves, not hope in our flesh, but hope in the Spirit of God. That Christ, excuse me, that in Christ, through the power of the Spirit, we can experience real and lasting and heartfelt and sin-defeating change. Therefore, we must surrender ourselves to the Spirit of God, allowing Him to bring transformation to our lives. So, so walking according to the Spirit is a, is a work of the Spirit that we must surrender to. More on that later. How do we do that? That's more on that later. That's what we'll see in much of the rest of chapter 8. Beginning in our passage for today, verses 5 through 8, Paul continues both his, his description and prescription for how to live according to the Spirit. He says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For, the, for, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In these verses, Paul makes this clear distinction. The distinction is between living in the flesh and living in the Spirit. And the difference has everything to do with setting your mind. So we need to understand, uh, first, the meaning of setting your mind. The phrase, set their minds, is, is only one word in the Greek. It's a, it's a verb whose meaning increases uh, with intensity. It, it has a range of meaning, and it increases with intensity. It's kind of like our English word love. You know, I love tacos, and I love football. I'm trying to increase with intensity, and, I, and I, I'll just go, and I love my wife, and I love Jesus, right? It increases. Tacos and Jesus are not the same, even though I describe same, same with this. It increases. It can mean to think about something, just to think about it. Set your minds to think about it. Or to be concerned for something. Or to be preoccupied with something. Or to have your attention and imagination totally captured by something. Now, the English word mind usually refers to our thoughts, our intellect only, right? We, we divide our mind and our heart, our, our mind and our will and our... We divide these things up. But the Greek phrase here, set your mind, set their minds, includes our emotions as well. It, 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 it's also to set your affections on something. In Philippians 1.7, Paul writes, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. That word feel is the same word translated in Romans 8.5, set their minds Paul sets his mind on, he feels for the Philippians because he holds them in his heart. 
So to set your minds on something, let me, let me summarize it, because I think Paul is using it in its intensest mode here. It means to focus intently your thoughts and emotions on that thing. To focus intently both your thoughts, your thinking, and your emotions, your heart on that thing. To set your minds. And Paul is saying in Romans 8.5 that there is a direct link between what we set our minds, what we focus our thoughts and our emotions on, and how we live. What our life looks like. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. I hope that makes sense, right? Because it's not rocket science. The way you live is directly linked to what you set your thoughts and emotions on. To what you think about and what you feel. I I have a brother-in-law whose life illustrates this. He grew up in Indiana and he went to Purdue University. In his house, he has a Purdue room filled with Purdue decorations, helmets and statues and, and banners. He's painted his truck black with gold trim. Purdue colors, black and gold. He records and he watches every, sometimes several times, watches every Purdue football game and basketball game, and I think some of the other sports as well. He was watching volleyball one day. I go, what? He flies back to Indiana once a year to watch a Purdue football game. He's planning on retiring and and flying back and, and getting at least three or four in when he's there. His wardrobe consists of about 50% Purdue gear. His favorite NFL player is Drew Drew Brees. Why? Because he graduated from Purdue. When we were talking recently about the NFL draft, his focus was on the one Purdue player that was drafted. The rest of the draft mattered not. Just the other night, we were watching an NBA playoff game. And his only concern was for the one player on both teams who graduated from Purdue. That's all he talked about. And these are just a few examples. I could go on. My brother-in-law sets his mind, his thoughts, and his emotions on the things of Purdue. And you see this in almost everything in his life. What he talks about, what he wears, what he drives. It's just clear. He lives according to Purdue. Now, the nature of our lives is such that we must set our minds on a lot of different things, right? The things of home, the things of school, if you're in school, the things of work, if you have a job, the things of family, the things of friends, the things of church, and so on. We have a lot of things that we have to focus our thoughts and our mind on. But in Romans 5, excuse me, 8, 5 through 8, When Paul writes about setting your mind on the things of the flesh or the things of the Spirit, he's saying that that surrounding and and over all the things, the, the, I'll say now, smaller things, the the, the other things in our lives that we have to set our minds on, there are two ultimate options with two diametrically opposed outcomes. Two options, two opposite outcomes. So let's look at each of these options and their outcomes. First, I want us to see the mistake of setting your mind on the flesh. 
Verse 5 begins, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. That word flesh is the Greek, uh, in Greek refers to our physical body. It's, it is our flesh. Sometimes even Paul in the same book, he'll use it just speaking of our physical body. But, but as we've seen throughout Romans as well, Paul uses this word to refer to the part of us humans that's been corrupted by sin. The flesh is in many ways synonymous with the place where indwelling sin, where sin dwells. The NIV translates it, not flesh, but uh, sin nature. And in Galatians 5, 19-21, Paul writes this, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. The things of the flesh would be all of these sinful things and more, and things like these. The things of the flesh are, are selfish, self-centered, sinful desires and acts. And if you set your mind on these things, then you will live according to these things. They go together. Your life will be guided and directed by the sinful desires of the flesh. Now I want us to think for a moment, moment very practically and personally. Your mind, your thoughts... Your emotions are impacted by what you see and what you hear and what you experience. That's just a fact. I would say your mind is empowered either positively or, or negatively by what you allow to enter into it. If I spend a lot of time uh, reading the newspaper or watching the news, not fake news, by the way, then I'm empowered to know about and even feel for the things that are happening around me, the things that are happening in our world. What I put in my mind affects what I know and what I think, what I do. So I want to ask yourself, I want you to ask yourself, what things, in this case, we're we're on the things of the flesh, so I would ask you, what sinful things are you allowing into your mind? What things are empowering you to set your mind? What, what things are giving you an avenue to setting your mind on the things of the flesh, the sinful things of this world? Are there, are there TV shows you watch? Are there movies you go to? Are, are there books you read? Are there people you spend time with? Are there internet sites you visit? Or, or other things that empower you to set your mind on the things of the flesh? Are there things that you're allowing into your mind that that glorify the things of the flesh, that glorify sexual immorality and impurity and sensuality and idolatry and sorcery and enmity and strife and jealousy and on the list goes? If the answer is yes, then you must... In Christ Jesus, rid yourself of those things. You must run from those things. As Joseph ran from Potiphar's wife, you must run from those things that are seeking to influence your mind towards the things of the flesh because allowing them into your mind will inevitably lead to your setting your mind on them, to those becoming dominant in your thoughts and your feelings. If you allow the things of the flesh to enter your mind through your eyes, through your ears, you're inviting the things of the flesh to capture your attention, 
your imagination, and you will quite naturally, it's not rocket science, live for those things. And the results are devastating. This is where the mistake of setting your mind on the things of the flesh becomes clear. Romans 8.6, Paul writes, For to set your mind on the flesh is death. Now some have used this to say that Paul is, is oh, okay, so now uh, death, he must not be talking about Christians because we don't experience death. We don't experience at least eternal death because Christians... Uh, are, are bound for eternal life or forgiven, no condemnation, right? But I think we miss the point if we, if we don't see ourselves here as well. Yes, Paul is certainly and ultimately speaking about uh, those who are not in Christ, those who haven't trusted in Christ, the one who doesn't have the Spirit of God, the one who is outside of Christ. For them, the only place uh, they can set their minds is on the flesh. There is no Spirit that set them free. They've not been forgiven for their sins. They've not been freed from their sins. And unless they repent and turn to Christ, they will face just condemnation from God and and eternal death. But I believe there's also a warning here for Christians. Because Paul's not simply talking about future eternal death. He's also referring to to the brokenness and, and the emptiness the joylessness, the, the wretchedness, going back to uh, chapter 7, in this life that's experienced by those who set their minds on the things of the flesh. God created us for a purpose. Ultimately, and now that purpose is to be into relation, in relationship with Him. To enjoy knowing Him as we live in this world. So setting our mind on the flesh, the sinful things of the flesh, allowing ourselves to be controlled by our own sinful desires rather than God's righteous desires can only lead to a life that is far less, far less than He intends. It it takes us away from the abundant life that Jesus promised. So I would say this to Christians. And, And remember, this is who Paul's writing to to Christians, to the church in Rome, to the extent we set our minds on the things of the flesh. And I know you can do that because I've done it. To that extent, we will experience death in this life. We we will experience brokenness and joylessness and emptiness and wretchedness. We will be miserable people. And it gets worse. Verse 7, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you set your mind on the flesh, on the sinful desires of the flesh, then you're setting yourself against the holy, righteous God and creator of the universe. Your mind becomes hostile against God. Uh, uh, A mind set on the flesh is anti-God. This is certainly a description of the life of a non-Christian, the life of one who does not have the Spirit of God. But if you, a Christian, turn from the Spirit, if you set your minds on the things of the flesh, you too become hostile to God. You too uh, cannot submit to God. You cannot please God. And I would say to anyone here today, Christian, non-Christian, seeker, 
curious person, if you're setting your mind on the things of the flesh, if you spend your time thinking about, concerned about, preoccupied with the sinful, self-gratifying things of this world, then based on God's Word and and my own personal experience and probably experience of, of many of you, I know for a fact that you are not experiencing joy. You are not experiencing the joy of the Lord. There's no happiness in your life. There may be fleeting pleasure of sin for a season, but there's ultimately emptiness and wretchedness, this feeling of worthlessness and death. And what a terrible, uh, a tragic place to be. I know from experience, from the Word of God, however, that there's a way out. There's a way to escape. There's a way to rid yourself of this life according to the flesh. Thanks be to God for those who are in Christ Jesus. We do not have to remain in this wretched place. There is another opposite and immensely better alternative. And so I want us to turn now to the means of setting your mind on the Spirit. Romans 8.5 again. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. That should be our goal. Our heart's desire should be to to live according to the Spirit, to have our lives guided and directed and transformed by the power of God's Holy Spirit. And the key, the means, the way to do this, to living according to the Spirit, is setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. Or put another way, uh, practically speaking, we will live according to the Spirit to the extent that we set our minds on the things of the Spirit. So what are the things of the Spirit, and how do we set our minds on them? First, the what. If af- as we've seen, the things of the flesh are the sinful, selfish dev- desires and actions, then the things of the Spirit would be uh, the righteous, uh, godly desires and actions. We've already read in Galatians 5, 19-21, the works of the flesh, but the very next verse is Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The next verses, we read the opposite, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We could add to this. This isn't the sum total of everything, but it's a good summary of the things of the Spirit, right? There are things that God wants in our lives. Things, these are things that we are to set our minds on. I mean, we could go through each one of them and how to set our... Just think about the first one for a second. Love. A thing of the Spirit is love. I mean, Tom gave us the whole story this morning of his encounter. Should I live in the flesh, in my car, in my phone, or should I step out and engage this person? Should I love other people? Should I love God? Should I set my mind on loving God and loving other people? So these are the things of the Spirit. Now how... How do we set our minds on these things? Well, notice these things are the fruit of the Spirit. These are the product of surrendering to the Spirit of God. Back to what we talked about last week. So I would begin, this is the how, this is the instructions, this is the application. 
I would begin with prayers of surrender. There's nothing else we can do. It's a work of the Spirit in our lives. And so we have to give ourselves to God. We have to give ourselves to the Spirit. Surrender my mind to the Spirit. Telling God that my mind belongs to, my mind belongs to Him alone. That I surrender my will and my ways to you, God. And then I would ask God to supernaturally fill my mind with these things. We're going to fill in our mind with the things of the flesh or the things of the Spirit. We'll be doing one or the other. And so we ask God to fill our minds with the things of the Spirit, with love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness, to instill in me godly desires for righteousness. It's a work. It's His work. It's His work in our lives to give me a a heartfelt passion. How often do you spend time in prayer asking God to change me? God, I'm struggling in this and I need your help. I need the Spirit of God to transform my heart. To fill me with your passion. To give me a vision for what you want in my life. Not what I'm experiencing right now. So I'd begin with prayers of surrender to and filling with the Holy Spirit. But don't stop there. Don't stop there because God, and this is true about um, everything in our lives as we pray, God uses means to answer prayer. He uses means, ways, uh, uh, things to help us surrender and to fill our minds. And there's no greater means to setting our mind on the things of the Spirit than setting our minds on the Word of God. This, I believe, is the key You want to talk about living in the Spirit, this is the only way you're going to accomplish life in the Spirit. The key is reading and studying and applying and meditating on and memorizing and obeying the Word of God. Check this out. We are to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. And in 1 Peter 1, 20 and 21, the apostle writes, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in, the human, in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, Peter is specifically speaking of prophecy and prophets of Scripture, but this applies to the entire Word of God. The Word of God, the Scripture, was inspired by the, the same Spirit that's indwelling us. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That phrase, breathed out, is, is one word in the Greek, and it includes this, this breath, this, this pneuma, this, and that's how, the, the, in the Greek, that's the word for spirit. It's breathed out by the, the Spirit of God. It's inspired by God, the Holy Spirit. And I emphasize this because I think it is awesome that we've been given a, a, a book you know, different sizes, different forms. It's now on your, I can get it on my, I almost said freaking, well, I just did, my watch. I can get it on my watch. This book is on my phone and my iPad and my watch and I have books and I have, and it's filled with the things of the Spirit to set our minds on. If you want to, if you want to know how to set your mind on the things of the Spirit, as opposed to the things of the flesh, read the prophets. 
Because the prophets, God is setting their minds on the things of the Spirit, and the people's minds are set on the flesh. If you want to know the, uh, how to set your mind on the things of the Spirit, read the Gospels and watch Jesus. Don't watch Peter. Because he'll often set his minds on the things of the flesh. It gives us this counterbalance. Watch Jesus as he continually in everything sets his mind on the things of the Spirit. On caring for people. On reaching out to people. On loving people. You see Jesus just demonstrate the things of the Spirit. Of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. There are examples filled with the Spirit. And there's instructions about living in the Spirit throughout the book. We've been given the writings of men inspired by the Holy Spirit to impart to us the revelation of God, God's will, and God's ways. We've been given the things of the Spirit that we might set our minds on those things. And what's the result? Paul says in verse 6, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but, I love, I love, the butts in the Bible, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For those who set their mind on the Spirit, there is life. Not brokenness and emptiness and wretchedness, there is life. And, and peace, peace with God. Peace within your soul. And this is certainly and ultimately a promise for eternal life and eternal peace. But just as we saw regarding death, I don't think Paul is just pointing to eternity. We, we need to stop this right now. We need to stop as Christians thinking that I'll just wait until I die to experience God, to experience what He has for me. That all Christ did only applies uh, when this life is over to my eternal salvation. Paul is talking about this life. He's talking about the lifelong process of sanctification, of becoming more righteous, of becoming like Christ. He's talking about the whole gospel. And he's saying that to the extent we set our minds on the Spirit, we will experience life in the Spirit. The life that God has for us. We will experience the abundant life of joy and peace with God. Instead of death, we will experience now life and peace. And how do we experience that? By setting our minds on the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So, so let's be clear. What I'm saying, based on the Word of God, based on my own personal experience walking through uh, this flesh, going from the flesh to the Spirit, I'm saying if you want to live, if you want to not live, excuse me, the wretched, sinful, death-filled life according to the flesh, but instead, you want to live the righteous, obedient life according to the Spirit, the process. You want to experience now true life and peace. You want to know a life of joy and purpose and satisfaction and sanctification. If you want life in the Spirit, then you must set your mind on the things of the Spirit through prayer, through going to God because it's a work of God, and through the Word of God, through allowing the Word of God into your, through your eyes or your ears, you know, if you're listening to it, that it penetrates your mind, your heart. You must pray that God will do a work in your heart and mind. 
that, that He will set your mind, your will, and your emotions on the things of the Spirit, that He will empower you to think about, to be concerned for, to be preoccupied with, to have your attention and your imagination totally captured by the things of the Spirit found in His Word. That's my prayer for each one of us. That our hearts and minds will be captured by the things of the Spirit. And that we'll, we'll on a daily basis go to prayer and we'll go to God's Word to set our minds on these things. I would challenge you even, as I challenge myself, as you daily go to God's Word, and, 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 and yes, daily, I would challenge you to begin with, with, with this or, or a similar prayer, a similar attitude of your heart. God, as, as Your Word enters my mind, as, as, I, as I begin to open Your Word through my eyes, my ears, listening in my car maybe, use Your Word in my life today to set my mind on the things of Your Spirit. That I might today not live according to the flesh, but that my life might be characterized by overcoming sin and obedience to God. That I might live today according to Your Spirit. And so as the worship team and the the ushers come forward, as we prepare our hearts to receive communion, would you join me in prayer? Lord God, I just come to you and I, I just pray that you, would, uh, that you would help us. That you would help us to live not according to the flesh, setting our minds on the things of the flesh. Lord, but you would help us to live according to the Spirit, setting our minds on the things of the Spirit.